Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode 15. As always, it's great to be here with you. We have another good lineup for you today. We're going to start the show off with the segment, Mailbox Mania. This week, we're looking at the process publication by issue. We have two guest speakers for you today, Natalie Lynn and Julie Williamson, both of them giving you some insight on what it takes to be an Isham Fellow in Still Processing. Well, if you haven't heard yet, Isham has announced the first virtual Isham Online Educational Conference. The online conference will be open from May 22nd to July 20th. So there's plenty of time for you to go in and get your educational fix. Registration is currently open and it's free to Isham members and those holding a current Isham certification. All you have to do is go to the Isham website and register. Now I think it took me a total of about 30 seconds, but I did have my Isham ID on me. So listen, they've got on-demand educational sessions that are available when you have time along with live webinars. And there's also a good opportunity to engage with our vendor partners who are presenting CE education and live product demos. So go ahead, pause the podcast. I'm going to give you some time right now to go register for this exciting event. So go ahead, I'm pausing it now. Well, welcome back. For those of you who really did pause it and register, good job. Well, maybe you're listening and driving at the same time. In that case... You know, just wait till you get home or wait till you get to work and register. But make sure you don't miss this event. It's going to be a good one. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get rolling into Mailbox Mania. Today in Mailbox Mania, we're looking at the newly released May-June 2020 publication of The Process Magazine. Now, if it's been a while since you've cracked open this publication, you know, it's jam-packed full of useful content. Now, everyone who has looked at the process or those old communiques know that the staple of this publication are really the lesson plans. Great lesson plans, and there's always a lesson plan dedicated for each of the certifications, whether, whether that be a CRCST, the CIS, the CHL, or the CER. You know, there's always a lesson plan available at your fingertips. But today, I'm not going to touch those. Maybe we'll, t- well, maybe we'll look at those in another podcast down the road. Today, I'm going to focus on some of the other articles in this publication. Now, there are at least 10 other points of interest or articles in here that are really great. They have great information, great sources of information. And I really like them. And it's because most of them are pretty quick, meaning they're a pretty quick read. For example, the other day I was waiting in the Chick-fil-A drive through line, you know, with the uh, rest of the people in the Denver metro area, and I was able to read at least two of these articles. So it's really not bad, right? And lots of good information. So uh, let's take some time, look a few of these. The first article is in the column AORN Streamline 
titled Top Strategies for Improving Operating Room Sterile Processing Relations. And this reads, The relationship between the operating room and the sterile processing department is at the core of successful patient surgical outcomes. The sterile processing department must not only supply all the instrumentation for the scheduled surgical cases, but the instrumentation must be clean, precise, well-functioning, and delivered on time. You know, this requires daily collaboration between the two departments and the realization that no department can function independently within healthcare. You know, establishing a healthy working relationship requires building mutual understanding and respect and recognizing that each area has its own challenges. Again, addressing the fact that we have a symbiotic relationship, we both need each other to be successful. So this article, it also goes on to discuss the fact that the challenges that exist between the operating room and sterile processing cannot be remedied by a quick fix. You know, it's possible to bridge gaps between departments by eliminating silos and exploring solutions and strategies from a team view or team perspective, as opposed to a us and them mentality. This article also talks about working to overcome confusion. So it's a good article, especially if you're trying to build or restore relationships within the OR. All right, the next column is under the professional perspectives and it's titled Workplace Coaching, an Effective Management Tool. This article says, it is often said that people don't quit their job, they quit their manager. Good leaders are those who inspire, motivate, and mentor others by sharing knowledge and lessons learned through experience. Coaching is a critical leadership and management skill that departmental leaders should learn and master. Now, the article suggests that it's a good manager who knows how to coach their staff in a way that helps them make smart decisions and then gets out of the way to allow employees to do the work. The article also discusses coaching fundamentals and then lists some key steps for improving coaching skills. Avoiding commanding, which uh, really means motivating and inspiring others rather than simply barking orders. It also says support your peers, shows understanding and appreciation, and then create a positive workplace. A workplace with a positive culture and is inviting is definitely more rewarding than a workplace where you dread even walking through the door every day. So another good article, another good read. Managing and supervising, you know, is one of those areas where you can never learn too much. You always learn something or simply need to refine your skills. So a good article to look at. And next, public speaking. You know, we all love public speaking. Well, this article is titled, Coming to the Stage, Our Next Speaker Is You. Now, if you would have asked me five years ago to stand up in front of a few hundred people and speak, I would have said you're crazy. Not going to happen. No way. But, you know, now for me, it's one of those things that uh, the more you do, the more you kind of get used to. You know, I still get the butterflies, but I no longer go into that full-on panic mode, right? So this article talks about some basics that you can follow for effective public speaking. For instance, uh, making eye contact, knowing your audience, catering to the different learning styles of your audience, understanding your material, 
and then visualizing your outcome. So some good things, and it goes into depth into each of those uh, bullets there. So check out this article, even if you were like me five years ago and completely just not interested in public speaking, you can still use the tips in this article, you know, even if it's just for small groups like an in-service or even a job interview. So good article. It was well done. Our next article is the Surgical Instrument Instructions for Use Challenges. Now, this is another good article uh, that addresses really that elephant in the room by asking the question, how can you remember all those instructions for use? So don't be that guy that says, it's because we've always done it that way. You know, we don't say that anymore, right? This interesting article goes on to talk about four issues or problems. So one is too many IFUs. You know, there's just way too many IFUs out there for us to actually remember all the instructions. One-time in-servicing meaning it's a common practice for sterile processing managers to get their teams together for an in-service that will be conducted by a vendor rep or a member of the department's education team. Now, many times, once this in-service is conducted, there are no additional in-services performed, right? Until maybe there's a, a, a year later or maybe there's a problem that arises with that set, right? And here, here's some interesting numbers. Most people forget more than 40% of what is taught within the first hour following training, and then roughly 80% is forgotten by the first month following the training. So it's really important to continue those in-services. One of the four problems this article talks about. And then number three, frequent employee turnovers. And then last, uh, too little time. And last, this article finishes the discussion with using technology as a solution. So another good article. Now let's turn to the column Technician Exchange and look at another interesting article. Dispelling myths to create better understanding inside and outside SPD. Now there are several myths in the healthcare setting. Uh, many of those myths have been passed down over time through the department and eventually those myths become an acceptable practice. Right? And here we go again. It's because just the way things have always been done, right? Well, the sterile processing department is, is no different. You know, if we really think about it, we can all recall certain practices that likely originated as a myth and then took roots and became truth. And it continues to be followed without really giving pause as to why. Well, in some cases, we may be so busy that we simply don't challenge those practices. And I think we can all relate to that. Well, this article gives three common myths. Sterile processing staff should be the all-knowing, right? So we should know everything. Second, sterile processing lost our instruments. Well, if you, I've never heard that before of you. Uh, and, that, and that's me being sar sarcastic. Um, number three, it doesn't take that long to process X, Y, or Z instruments. So common myths that are out there. Then the article has some effective ways that they have found for dispelling these myths or mistaken beliefs. So check out this article, read how you can effectively dispel some of these myths we just talked about. And the last article is titled Closed Circuit Communication, Proactively Navigating Towards Patient Safety. This article reads in the healthcare environment, moving in a way that contributes to patient safety and positive outcomes 
can be seen on a multitude of levels and across every discipline in the facility. From the frontline caregivers taking vital signs and performing procedures on a patient, to the environmental service professionals cleaning and disinfecting services, and the sterile processing professionals inspecting, processing, and managing instrumentation. To successfully deliver quality patient care, relationships and interactions of various departments must be continually fostered, carried out, and improved by the sterile processing department. The article goes on to talk about two ways to handle situations. Staff members can either be proactive and get ahead of these issues before they occur, or be reactive and handle them as they happen. This article discusses the best place to share facility expectations. So check out this article. The article is located in the Tools of Trades column. So that's going to do it for this segment of Mailbox Mania. For these articles and more, to learn more about them, to read the full articles, check out the May-June 2020 process publication. Today we're talking about the Isham Sterile Processing Fellowship Program with my friend and colleague, Julie Williamson, Communications Director at Isham, and Natalie Lynn, Isham Education Director. Welcome, Julie and Natalie, to Process This. Today we're going to talk about the process of attaining a fellowship with Isham. Natalie, why did you decide to pursue a fellowship? Well, you know, John, when I finished my certifications and I had some experience in my career, I wanted to take that next step. It was the step that I hadn't attained yet. So there was, there was a goal setting process in mind. And I had a lot of passion about the topic that I picked and I wanted to learn more about it. And for me, my fellowship was not only to attain that title of fellow, which is in itself, I'm very proud of, but it was also to help me to learn about something that I really wanted to know more about. Julie, how would somebody start the process? Well, I would really want to refer people to the website first. Um, we, under the About Us section of Isham's website, so at www.isham.org, um, you'll see a fellowship um, tab, and you can actually click on that and learn everything that you need to know before you actually begin the process at all. So the first and foremost uh, thing is there are certain requirements that you must meet before you can even start the, start the process at all. So one of which is you must be an ISHM, active ISHA member in good standing for at least five years and hold the CRCST designation. Um, you must also be responsible for directing a CS department of a healthcare facility or have interest by virtue of practice. Um, and then from there, you must submit a detailed, well-researched, and referenced paper. Um, so again, you have to have those first before you can even embark upon the process. If you meet those criteria, then you will, you know, you can do an online application and that information then gets sent to the committee. So there are specific steps to follow. Everything is clearly outlined on the ISHAM website, so I would really recommend people just start there. Okay. Now, is there a, is there a specific timeline for submitting a fellowship? No. Um, we get asked this a lot. I think a lot of people think just um, if you're, if you have interest in it and you uh, want to do this. Um, they think that once the ball gets rolling and, and they have filled out the application and they've gotten approval from the committee to move forward, 
that they have to do it within six months, a year, or any sort of timeline. There is no timeline at all. Um, the only thing that we would say to you is to take your time, give this the attention that it deserves. It really is not something that you're going to pull together in a month, two months. Um, honestly, I'd say it would be hard to probably do for most people who are working full time to even pull this off within six months. So it can take a year. It can take five years. It can take 10 years. Um, you know, certainly that, at that point, your, your topic may change a little bit, but, um, you know, we just don't want anyone to feel rushed. Take your time, um, and, and really just, you know, be diligent about moving forward with it. Whenever it happens is when it happens. Picking a topic uh, sounds like it can be really difficult or a challenge. Uh, can Natalie, can you talk about some of the topics that have been done in the past? We have had a wide variety of topics that have been submitted. And one of the things that I really like is when people pick something that they've had success with the process or they have learned something by a change that they've made or an adaptation in their departments because it can be information that can be used by other facilities. So there's some really good information. Some of the topics that have we've had in the past have been just a wide variety of interests. We had someone do a topic on high-level disinfection in third-world countries. They don't have the resources that we do, and so to make instruments safe for patients is really a challenge. We also had somebody who talked about managing the steam sterilization process, really getting on top of the quality of that. One that is a hot topic even now was a process to reduce immediate use steam sterilization. And there were also some process improvement topics. So there's it's really something CS-related that shows that you've done research, maybe you've done some practice changes, and you're recapping that. And our ultimate hope is that other people will learn from it and maybe even be able to use some of your ideas and your information in their own practices. Julie, so once uh, somebody picks their topic, you know, what is the committee looking for in a paper? Is there a specific or special format that needs to be followed? Yes, there really is. Um, and again, all of this information is listed pretty clearly on the ISHM website um, under the fellowship tab. But um, what the committee is really looking for is a really well researched, um, well-developed, and detailed, highly detailed paper. So this is a research paper, uh, much like a college thesis would be. So this is very different from just a normal publication article um, that might be two, three, even four pages. Again, these are very, very detailed um, with references, with supporting literature, um, not written in the first person, um, very scientific, uh, if you will, just collegiate, more at a collegiate level of writing. Um, so I think that's the that's the challenge for a lot of people, and that, to be honest, is why fellowship. We only have, what, Natalie, 32 fellows? 32. 32. Um, and, you know, we're certainly looking for more. We know that there are many out there that could do this, but it is not for everybody, and it is, it's okay to not be a fellowship writer and to, um, you know, ever attain that. Um, it's a great goal to have if you really are competent in writing, you're comfortable with writing, and, um, you know, you've really done the diligence of looking at past fellowship papers, which some are posted on our website. Um, I would really recommend, you know, reviewing those, reading as much as possible, reading journals. Um, that will give you a feel and a much more flair of what we're, what we're looking for in terms of fellowship. Um, so, and I, actually, when I say we, I'm the committee liaison, so I'm not actually a committee member, so I'm not a voting member on this. Um, but Natalie is a fellow, as well as all of our other committee members, and they will be sort of the ones steering that ship. 
yeah, so it sounds like writing this paper with the research and just the quality that it could be really intimidating. Do you have any advice for our listeners on uh, what they can do when they start looking and writing one of these? Definitely. I mean, it can be intimidating because, again, this is not a regular article. This is much more in-depth. I'd say the one thing that, that should be le- least intimidating is that you can take as much time as necessary, and you're really not just floating out there on your own. You have a committee that can help guide you. Um, you know, we're, we're here for you. Um, if you get hung up on something or if a certain section of your paper that was approved to be developed um, kind of falls apart or you just aren't, aren't really figuring out how to make that work, you know, the committee's there to help steer that a little bit and just to help guide you. So again, you know, you can take your time on it. Um, you know, much of what I said still applies to reading, read as much as you possibly can, um, write as often as you can. If you're comfortable with writing, um, comfortable on the research end, um, I think you'll be fine and just, you know, maybe set personal goals. Um, you know, I said earlier, you know, kind of half jokingly, it can take you 10 years. No one really wants to take that long, but I'd say a year is a really good, um, that's a good realistic strategy. I think, especially if you're working full time. Um, you know, you can just dedicate some time in the evenings or on the weekends. Um, but that's what I would recommend. What is the review process like? Does Isham help the candidate rewrite the paper to those specifications we talked about? No. So um, as liaison, people can reach out to me if they have a question or a concern. And then I will I will sort of punt that over to the committee. And then they will go from there and, and help guide. So again, if there are any questions or if there are any gaps that need filling, um, any sort of structural issues that, you know, one area is a little falling flat and another area is really detailed, that's something that we can help guide on. But as far as editing or any rewrites, absolutely not. We're unable to do that for fellowship. So a paper needs to be submitted as if you're submitting it for a grade in a, in a college level course. Um, that's probably the best way to explain that. So that being said, we really do encourage that any writer or anyone who's seeking um, fellowship, that they have a really good, competent, um, you know, person who's competent in writing, reading. Um, They don't need to know the fellowship process, but somebody who has a really good eye for, you know, structural, grammatical, punctuation, things like that, that can help give it a really good other set of eyes before it comes to us. So that's highly encouraged. Once the paper has been approved, is there an oral interview that follows? And Natalie, can you give us kind of a feel of what that process is like? I can. I have sat on both sides of the table as a fellowship candidate and also as a member of the fellowship committee. I think the first thing to really, um, for people to know, is that all of the people that are on the fellowship committee are fellows of Isham. And so we've all been there. We've all gone through this process. And we know what you're going through. And we try to make the interviews as unintimidating as possible. We hold our interviews at our annual conference. And I would just add in there that if you want to, if you're hoping to go through that interview at a conference, you get your paper in early enough so that it can be reviewed by the group. Submitting the paper the week before the conference, it will not be able to go through a review. So that's just kind of a heads up. But when we meet at the conference, we set up a time with the candidate. and we really talk about the paper, about the content. And what we're looking for is um, we're looking for the depth of knowledge. We've already seen what the person can do from a writing standpoint. We want to hear about their experience. We want to understand more about what they've learned. And so really, it's um, it's just backing that up. What changed for you? What did you learn? How did you apply this? Or how will you apply this? And really 
making it a, a more well-rounded process for getting your fellowship. So it's not just writing a good paper, but it's also being able to articulate different parts of the paper and how they apply to still processing. And it's really intim- It's not an, an intimidating interview. It's it's, it's kind of informal. We sit around mm-hmm. a table. Um, you know, we, we just, anyone may have a question or just, you know, more curiosity about a paper, they can just kind of, you know, ask and, and go from there. But, and I do remember being intimidated and nervous about my interview and I had not sat in them before and walking out and thinking that wasn't so bad. They just wanted to talk about what I wrote about. And I should have realized that beforehand, but, um, it really is just, and it's an opportunity too, for that person who most likely will become a new fellow to have an opportunity to talk to the people that, that are fellows. and um, So it's, it's a really good process. So Natalie, how has attaining your fellowship really impacted your career? You know, it's impacted it in a lot of ways. First of all, I'm still, after several years, I'm proud to say that I'm an Isham fellow and I still kind of get that in, internal smile when they ask all the fellows to stand up at our annual meeting and I'm really proud of that. But it taught me some discipline because the type of writing that I do is not at that level. And so to have to actually up my game, if you will, I picked a topic that I had a lot of passion in. And now we can laugh. I wouldn't want anyone listening to see my fellowship paper because I talked about new technologies in education for CS. And that's back when we were just starting to implement the use of digital imaging and video recordings and those types of things into the way we taught and trained and still processing. Obviously, you know, we've come light years ahead since then. But that allowed me, I think, to get a basic understanding of how to use those tools to really make a difference in education. And I went into it deeper than just that surface knowledge going, hey, it'd be great to have a picture of this. But instead, looking at how can these pictures work for you? How can they address different learning styles and and things like that. So I think it not only, it's not only the pride of being a fellow, but I think it also helped me to understand better what it is I do in still processing education. Great. So the last question is going to be for Julie. What advice would you give to somebody who is considering or kind of on the line or on the fence about pursuing a central service fellowship? Well, I would say if you're considering it at all, um, you probably know that that you're capable. And I would say, don't let self-doubt get in the way. This is something that I think is, it's exciting. Natalie said an awful lot there that I think really rings true for most people. It's good to push yourself. I think it's good to try something new. Um, I really recommend and urge people to get a little bit out of their comfort zone and and push themselves a little bit more than maybe they thought that they could write. Um, If you've been out of college for a long time, if you've never been to college, if you hated English in high school, it doesn't mean you can't do it now. So just take your time, really research. Um, I think one thing that is good is maybe start slowly. Um, Write an article for your hospital newsletter. Reach out to me. I'm Isham's editor and communications director. You can reach out to me if you have an idea and just want to maybe get an article published and just get your feet wet that way. I think it'll give you a little bit more comfort and confidence in the process. But the main thing is I would just say, you know, again, don't let self-doubt get in the way. You are capable of doing this. If you're already considering it, you know you probably have a little bit of the writing chops to make it work and just chip away at it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Natalie, and thank you, Julie, for taking the time and really kind of explaining the fellowship process uh, to our listeners. So thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.
Thank you, Julie and Natalie. Always a pleasure to hear from both of you. So if you're interested in the Isham Fellowship Program, check out the information on the Isham website. Thank you for listening to the episode. Don't forget your CE. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code VIRTUALISHAM. The code for this episode is VIRTUALISHAM. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.